I'm so um, honored to be here. I'm still trying to figure out how I ended up here. But God is so good to me. I remember standing here, and I gave my testimony from here in 2012, I believe. And uh, since then, God has really blessed me, and he's carried me all the way through. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And let's look at the famous verses in 6 and 7. Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7. And when you have it, let me know by saying amen. Amen. That sounded like mostly everybody. Look with me, if you will, at verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Would you join me in a word of prayer? And as I pray, I just ask that you all pray for yourselves in your minds as I pray out loud and also say a word of prayer for me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so thankful that this is your word and it's not mine. I am thankful, Lord, that you are faithful and true. I am thankful, Lord, that your mercy endureth forever. I'm thankful, Lord, that you look at the poor and needy and you set them up on the path of the just, Lord. I am thankful, God, that you are our our redeemer and our creator and the Lord that sanctifies us, Father. And Lord, this Sabbath day, Father, your people are assembled and we cannot go any further without your spirit here with us. And so, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us for our sins, dispel distractions, focus our minds and our attention on what we need to hear this morning, Lord, only from your spirit. Speak to us individually, Lord. Prick our hearts where we need to be pricked, Lord. I can't do it, and I'm thankful, God, for you are alone, God, and we all await on you. And I thank you, Lord, for hearing this weak, flimsy prayer, God, and for honoring it, Lord because you're faithful. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Amen. Okay. It is finished. When Jesus said those words on Calvary, the case was closed. It is finished. As he hung there and then gave up the ghost after those words, all of heaven was rejoicing. All of the universe, all of the unfallen worlds were, were, ex- were excited. They were happy. Because the accuser of the brethren, Satan, since the very beginning, since the rebellion in heaven, had pointed his finger to God. But right there at Calvary, the character of God and the character of Satan was right there in bold display in the eyes of all the universe. His accusa- accusations were proven false 
as he killed the Son of God who loved man with the depths of love that still cannot be grasped. Eternity is not enough to understand that. And Satan's character was there on display at Calvary. So all that awaited him in his future when Jesus said it is finished was for sure fire and brimstone. There would be no future support, no future sympathy from all these unfallen worlds. Calvary crushed his head. He was a defeated foe. But do you remember Elijah at Mount Carmel? Do you remember when Satan was defeated there? Did he give up after Mount Carmel? Or did he come through with Jezebel afterwards? But just as Calvary crushed his head, Satan became this wounded animal to the point of death. But like an animal that's wounded and he or she is in its death throes, it becomes more feral, more ferocious, more dangerous. In Great Controversy, page 623, we're told that the shorter Satan's time gets, the greater his wrath. And the time was ticking when Jesus said, it is finished. He couldn't get Jesus, he couldn't get him to sin, so he directed all his attention to the woman, to God's people, God's church. And so Satan raised up this dragon to persecute the woman. The dragon symbolizes the secular powers, the kings, the rulers of this earth, and the pagan institutions. And so Satan raised up pagan Rome to persecute this woman. The persecution started, remember the Acts of the Apostles? Right there in Jerusalem. And as the woman grew, as she got stronger, she spread out either to the north and then to the west. But it seemed that the more that this dragon persecuted this woman, she got stronger. She couldn't be killed. Because the blood of the martyrs ended up increasing, was, was water to the seeds for Christianity. And so what did Satan do? He rose up another beast. He switched up his guise and he morphed into another beast. And he rose up a beast out of the sea. The very place where the woman was, a sea, meaning that it's a populated area. And this beast received its power from the dragon had the semblance of the dragon, it looked like the dragon, but had the, the cloak or guise of Christianity. And now this beast got a, a little in on the inside, if you will, and once again the mission was resumed. You see, at Calvary, when Satan had, Satan's head was crushed, his main objective was, was these two things. I'm going to persecute this woman, take her off the face of this earth, and I'm going to deceive all the nations. Because you know why? Because if I got to burn, I'm going to take as much people as I can. If I got to go, I'm going to steal the joy that I used to have away from you. That is his only objective. Persecute the woman and deceive all the nations. He rose up the dragon. He rose up the beast. And this woman was sorely tried and persecuted. And this was the time of the Protestant Reformation. Although she was sorely tried, she was preserved and kept and nurtured, and God kept her. And what happened to the woman? She had to flee even further to the west, over the Atlantic, and landed on the shores where the earth swallowed up the flood of the persecution. The earth helped her. The earth is a place that is not so heavily populated like the sea. But not too long after the woman arrived on the earth, there were many Puritans and many other people fleeing religious persecution and landed on the shores of this nation. But not too long after the woman landed to the earth, did Satan once again switch his forms and form and morphed into another beast. And I saw another beast rise up out of the earth, having two horns like a lamb, 
But he didn't have the semblance of the dragon. He didn't look like the dragon, but he had the heart of the dragon. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaketh. He had two horns like a lamb and spake as a dragon. His outward facade is like Christ because Christ is the lamb. A lamb-like beast. But inside he has the heart of the dragon, the heart of Satan. Beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inside they are what, everyone? Ravenous wolves. And so from the time of Calvary to the inception of the United States, Satan has been busy. He has risen up the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, all with the same objective, to persecute that woman and to deceive the nations. But what was God's combat plan? What would God do to stop these three systems, these three institutions comprised of people? You see, this is all symbolic. The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, these three systems combined make up Babylon. But what would God do? Not too long after the woman fled here and that third beast, lamb-like beast, rose up out of the earth, not too long after that, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, people, everybody on this planet that this system of Babylon is attempting to deceive. God raises up three angels to slay these three beasts. Three angels that represent spiritual Israel to combat these three beasts under the yoke of Babylon, if you will. The first angel comes on the scene around the time of the 1840s. 1840s to 1844, and he comes at a particular point in time in history. You see, he gives three commands. How many commands? Three. Three. In the first angel's message, he says, fear God, give glory to him. Why? For the hour of his judgment has come. But the third command is worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. So it's fear God, give glory to him, worship the creator. Why? For the hour of his judgment is come. In 1844, October 22nd, Jesus went into the most holy place of the sanctuary, entering the last phase of the ministry in the sanctuary. In ancient Israel, when the high priest would go into the last phase or the most holy place once a year in the Day of Atonement, what was everybody else doing outside? They were repenting, afflicting their souls, they were praying, they were fasting. In short, they were getting serious. Wasn't time for kumbaya, wasn't time for celebration. It was time to get serious. The Bible says that when when the priest was in there, the high priest was in, in there in the Day of Atonement, and you were not afflicting your souls, that individual would be cut off. When the first angel comes on the scene, he is saying, my family, it is time to fear God. It is time to give him glory like never before. And it is time to worship the creator. Why? Because it's time to get serious. But it seems like someone else was paying attention to the time and looking at his watch. Someone else knew that when Christ entered into the most holy place, that I'm that much closer to fire and brimstone. So as his time lessens, his wrath increases. So what did Satan do around this time, around the 1840s, 1844? Say it again, somebody. Darwin. Everybody heard of Charles Darwin? 
his theory of evolution? What about the theosophy and the occult, Madame Blavatsky and her protege, Alice Bailey? What about all the confusion with all these other denominations that burst forth into the scene around that time? What about the age of technology and industry, addiction and vice? Now think about it, from the 1840s to the present day, how many gadgets and gizmos and, and technolo technological advancements do we have right now? Let me read something to you, taken from the Spirit of Prophecy, volume 4, page 312. Satan invents unnumbered schemes to occupy our minds, that they may not dwell upon the very work with which we ought to be best acquainted. Best acquainted. The arch deceiver hates the great truths that bring to view an atoning sacrifice and an all-powerful mediator. He knows that with him, listen to this, he knows that with him everything now depends. How many things? Everything now depends on his diverting minds from Jesus and his truth. Everything depends on Satan deceiving you, diverting your minds. Everything. That's his plan. She says he employs every device to prevent men from obtaining a knowledge of the Bible. Why? Because its plain utterances reveal his deceptions. Bottom line, family, he's going to make you put your Bible down. Make you put your Bible down. Have you noticed that the woman was persecuted by the dragon? Persecuted, persecuted by the civil pagan powers and the rulers of this earth. Then she was persecuted by the beast, this papal power, Roman Catholicism. And after that, she fled to the earth. But what happened to the persecution? Is she getting persecuted now? She will get persecuted, but is she getting persecuted now? Could it be that she's sleeping at her post? Could it be that the world has assimilated into the woman and the woman has assimilated into the world? Could it be that Satan's plan that everything depends on is actually working? Could it be that he turned up his wrath because his time was short and it's actually being successful this day? Babylon is busy, but where are the angels? The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, those that keep the commandments of God and have the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. Do we believe in the spirit of prophecy? Amen. Do we believe in all ten commandments? Amen. So who is the dragon wroth with? The servant of God said that Seventh-day Adventists have been cut by the great cleaver of truth, brought into close connection with God, set to be his watchmen, his light bearers, his ambassadors, his representatives in this last work of salvation. She says that the angels are waiting for us. Long have heavenly agencies been waiting for us to be co-workers with them. And she ends the statement saying these words, they are waiting for you. And I think about it, how long have they been waiting? They've been waiting for probably 6,000 years. Same angels that work with Enoch and Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist and the apostles. In the, in the early reign, we're probably talking amongst each other, I can't wait for the latter reign. I can't wait for the three angels' message to sound off because these are the most solemn and fearful warnings ever sent by God given to man. More solemn and fearful than the time of Noah. 
It's so solemn and fearful because these are the last messages before Jesus comes. After the three angels' messages, Michael stands up. The plagues hit. That's it. I was watching this uh, thing on, online, and it reminded me of, of an experience I had when I was a child watching the television back in 1987. I was only six years old at the time, but I remember this event so profoundly because it was worldwide coverage. There was this little girl named Jessica, baby Jessica. Anybody remember baby Jessica? And she fell down the well, a little, it was an abandoned well, little girl, 18 months, and she was stuck down there for 58, 59 hours. And you should have seen the community that came out to help this little girl. I mean, it was all over the news and afterward on every magazine, worldwide coverage. And I remember being in that living room. We, we were all rooting for baby Jessica to get out of that hole. The, the community came out. Sir, uh, emergency workers, crane operators. These people didn't sleep, didn't eat. They sacrificed their time and everything just to get this little girl out. By the time they pulled that little girl out, you should have seen the cheers, the high fives, the excitement. The excitement even in my own home. We were all happy that baby Jessica made it. Now, was that too enthusiastic for just, for just this one little soul? Of course not. People had a sense of purpose and fire because this little girl got saved. But what is the value of billions of lives facing eternal consequences compared to a temporal loss like that? I was reminded of another story of a man who was walking in the snow. And he got pretty confident in this snowstorm and he thought that he could make, it his, his, make his way home. The blizzard, however, hit him so hard and, and his visibility was cut short. Now he couldn't even see, didn't even know where he was going. And so now as the hours start ticking, he's starting to get more worried now. Muscle starts failing. He's starting to, he can't feel his hands because it's freezing cold. And now he's, he's losing hope. He goes on for a few more hours. And before you know it, his hope has decreased to the point where he's ready to kill himself or ready to die, excuse me. He says, man, I'm just going to go to this tree. And I'm just going to walk to this tree, crash, and that's it. I'm going to die. On his way to that tree, something was flickering in the corner of his eye. He turned around and he saw a hand twitching in the snow. As he went to this hand, he started to dig this hand out. And lo and behold, it was a man in there and he was alive. And when he dug this guy out, he dusted him off, picked his arm up, put it around his, his neck, and he began to carry this man and two of them began to walk in the snow. Later on that night, as he sat by the fireplace, he was thinking about the day's events. He said, you know what? I wanted to kill myself. Had it not been for that hand twitching in the snow, I got that extra boost of energy. My bones got hot. The zeal in my body wanted me to save this guy. And in turn, he ended up saving me. My family, there are billions of hands twitching in the snow out here. Don't let that day come. When your neighbors, your co-workers are going to say to you, you knew about this three angels message? You knew about the Sabbath and you never told me? How many people have come into this church after one Daniel Revelation seminar? After, after one interpretation of the book of, of, of Daniel chapter 2 or Daniel chapter 7? So many people don't know. So many people are hungry. And you knew? Of course I knew. I'm a second-generation Adventist. I'm a third-generation Adventist. I grew up in this thing. Of course I knew. My family, God is calling us to the greatest work in this planet. The time that the prophets wrote about, we get to live in. The time that the angels talked about and want to work with us, we get to exist in. And God is looking for his people 
to wake up. We've got to ask ourselves, this week, have we spent more time on our news feed on Facebook than we have putting our face in the book? Have we spent more time on our favorite television shows or maybe concerned with the job and the education, success, maybe the kids, maybe shopping? She says that nothing else should absorb our attention but these three angels' messages. But is is something else absorbing our attention? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to go through this. Proverbs chapter 8. And look with me, if you will, at verse... 13. Are we there? Verse 13. The Bible says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Are we there? Look with me, if you will, at verse 1 and 2. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that you mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look with me at verse 6. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to what everyone? To fear him. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And look at verse 12. And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to what, everyone? And to what? And to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commanded thee this day for thy good. Do we see the connection with keeping the commandments and fearing the Lord thy God? The first angel said, fear God. That was one of his, the the first command he said was fear God. The wise man in the book of Ecclesiastes says that this is the conclusion of the whole matter. He begins the book of Ecclesiastes saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, saith the preacher. He then goes on through the book and tells us various things that are all vanity and vexation of spirit. Invest in yourself in this world, the things that are, are taking up our attention that end up eating away at your spirit. And he ends the book how he starts the book. He says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, saith the preacher. But let's hear the conclusion of the entire matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. When Abraham went into the land of Abimelech, uh, uh, the king, 
And he told his beautiful wife, he said, Sarah, now you need to, uh, we need to come and work something out here. You're not going to be my wife when we, when we come in here. You're going to be my sister. And the reason why Abraham did that in Genesis chapter 20 was because he said, I, sh- I thought for sure that the fear of the Lord was not in this place. Joseph, he told his brothers, go and bring Benjamin back over here. I'm going to keep one of you guys in the jail just for insurance. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to do anything bad. You know why? Because Joseph said, I fear God. So when you fear God, you hate that which is evil. You hate that which is proudful, prideful, arrogant. You hate things that are against the commandments of God. For the commandments of God, love your neighbor, love God, is all love. It doesn't have to do with yourself. It has to do with others. It's to hate the evil way. But listen to what Deuteronomy said. It's so interesting to me. It said to walk in his ways, to fear him, and to love him. To love him. So obviously it's not a fear that you're afraid of. Because perfect love casteth out fear. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It's 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 an awesome respect and reverence for God. That even though the fear of the Lord is not at my workplace and my co-workers are talking all kinds of things, I fear the Lord. I'm going to walk under a different code of conduct. Because of the things on the television, they're breaking all the commandments. Because I fear the Lord, I'm not going to set wicked things before mine eyes. The fear of the Lord. The angel is exhorting us to fear God. But what I love about this is it says to love him. Now tell me this. How can you love somebody you don't know? My son is five months old right now, and I love my son more now than I did when he was first born. You know why? Because I, get, I know him now. I'm knowing him better. I laugh with him. I play with him. He looks at me. He recognizes his dad, and we're interacting more. The more I know him, the more my love strengthens with him. So what is the first angel telling us? Get to know him. Walk with him. Because when you walk with God and you get to know God, you're going to fall in love with his character. You're going to see how much he loves you. And you can't help but love him. If you love to ride your bike and love to go swimming, these are things you love to do. Do you do it because you have to? Or do you love cruising on that bike? Or do you love swimming? You do it because you love to do it. So God says that when you love me, you're going to have a desire, a delight, natural tendency. I want to walk in the Lord's statutes. I don't want to put this in my eyes. I don't want to talk about this, what everybody's talking about. I love what the pastor said about Daniel last night. Even though he was in Babylon, he acted like he was in Jerusalem. He prayed like he was in Jerusalem. And we need to have that same mindset. The first angel is telling us to know God. Walk with him. Because when you walk with him, you're going to love him. And when you love him, you're going to want to serve him. Past Sunday, Sunday morning, I was in my bed. And I experienced something I never experienced in my life. I was sleeping, dreaming. And all of a sudden, I'm rocking like this, side to side. And I thought I was in some little sailing boat on, on a rough, stormy sea. And I was rolling from side to side, and I opened my eyes, and the whole house was going like this, shaking. And I was like, whoa, this is some crazy dream, man. And I'm going. Then I hear my wife screaming in the living room, oh, no, oh, no. And I said, man, this is not a dream. This is an earthquake. 
And I grabbed my son on the bed next to me because where we live is slanted on this hill. And I'm thinking, if the house drops, we're done. So I grab him. I'm disoriented. And I grab him, and I'm trying to get off the bed. But by the time I get off and head for the room, the shaking stopped. It was shaking for about 20-plus seconds. Uh, we live in Napa and experienced the 6.0 magnitude. I lived in California since 90, 1999. Never felt the earthquake. And I don't want to feel one again, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something, folks. During that shaking, you know what I was thinking the whole time? I felt like a little speck of dust. I never felt so powerless on my... I couldn't do nothing. You know what the only thing I was doing? Jesus, help me, Jesus. Lord, I'm in your hand. As I'm grabbing my son, I said, Jesus. But you know what? And, and it made me think that we walk around this earth with a false sense of security. Our lives are not promised to us. We need to get to know him today. Because when it comes to down to it, that's all you have on this earth. I have too many loved ones that have passed away. Too many people I know who are in bondage to addiction. All we have is Jesus. I was talking to my friend in Angwin who lives there. His parents had come down for the first time to California from Jamaica. First time they visited. And I met them that Sabbath. It happened Sunday morning. And these two old faithful souls that I met on Sabbath... They reminded me of my mother and my grandmother, and she's passed. But these two old faithful souls, and, and I met them, and I could just tell they've been walking with the Lord for decades. And, um, and uh, I asked my friend, I said, so how was your parents' warm welcome to California? I mean, were they shaking up? How did they experience that? He said, Tarek, my parents were having a good time. He said, man, my mom was sitting on the bed all smiling as the earth was shaking, having a good time. He said, Tarek, every night my parents kneel beside the bed and they give their lives and their hearts to God every night. And I remember the scripture in Proverbs that says, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord, there's a place of refuge. The angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him. In the fear of the Lord, it prolongeth days. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is health tonight to thy navel and strength to thy marrow. The devil don't want you to fear the Lord. He wants to divert you and distract you. Because when you fear the Lord, you're confident. There's a place of refuge. You have wisdom and knowledge, and his deceptions melt away. Fear God, the angel says. Walk with him. Get to know him. Isaiah 43. Turn with me to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, you got to look at this. Mercy. Isaiah 43, are we there? Amen. Amen. Isaiah 43, look with me if you will, at verse 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have created him for my what? Glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. God says I have created you for my what? I have created you with the purpose in your life for my glory. I went to the zoo. I used to go to, I've been to a lot of zoos. Uh, maybe you can relate to me on this. For some reason, when I go to the zoos, like the lions and the animals, they look pretty wimpy to me. They look pretty depressed and sad and just mopey. Have you ever seen a horse that's maybe in the stable with no free place to run and he or she looks all skinny and, 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 and the spirit is kind of sad? Yes. A bird in the cage? Why? 
my, my wife and I went to a safari in Florida, and it wasn't a real African safari, but man, it was open fields. And we were driving, and there was a fence, and the lions over there, the size of those lions, beasts, big old ginormous lions. I felt like driving faster. There was a fence, and I was in the car. But their spirit was strong. Their muscles were strong. God didn't create them to be in the zoo or the horses. God says, I have created you for my glory. So when you don't fulfill the purpose that God has intended for you, guess what? You're mopey. You're weak physically, mentally, and spiritually. You're not living to your maximum capacity. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So when you're act- active in helping people, servicing people, lifting them up, praying for them, you're revealing the, ca- the character of God, and you're glorifying God. You are the light of the world. Jesus says in John 15, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. This fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. You're bearing the attributes and characteristics of God in your life. And when you do that, you're glorifying God. My brother told me a story. He went to a cave with like 20 other people. And it was pitch black, dark, couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. But he says somebody lit a match or a lighter in there, and as soon as that flame um, flickered into existence, all, instinctively, all 20 pairs of eyes went to that light without a second guess. In Isaiah chapter six, uh, 60, it says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord, the character of the Lord, is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the face of the earth, and gross darkness the people. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? So you can be the children of your Father which is in heaven. So you can reveal the character of God which is in heaven. You know what happens when somebody slights you, talks about you, gossips about you, runs your name in the dirt, falsely accuses you of something that you didn't do. Instead of acting the usual way, you bless them. You pray for them. You do good to them. You open the door for them. You help them out. Next time your car blows up and it ends up on the side of the, uh, of the road or you have to go to the hospital again, instead of murmuring and complaining, rejoice in the Lord always. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know what happens when you do that? That light comes on in the cave and everybody starts to look at you. People start to notice you because why is this woman so happy when she got to go to the hospital? Why is this brother excited when he's broke and his kids and his relationships on the rock? Why is he excited helping me and helping everybody else around him? What does he know? Better yet, who does he know? Your light shines. Let your light so shine. Give glory to God, the first angel says. Question. How can you glorify God and reveal his character when you don't even know who he is? Jesus says, without me, you can do what? Nothing. You can't even bear fruit. You can't do nothing without me. So Jesus is everything. So when you get to know Jesus, look into his wonderful face, 
The things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You get to see the character of God. You get to fall in love with God, walk in his ways. And by beholding him, looking into his face, it begins to change your character. You begin to glorify God in your lifestyle. And you bear these fruit. This fruit of gentleness and meekness. But who is the fruit for? Is it for you to, you're blessed by the fruit. But it's for others to partake. Others to see that light shining in the darkness. Fear God. Give glory to him. Worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. When I looked at that verse, I said, I know it's similar to the fourth commandment. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. I see the connection to the creator and both the commandment and both in the first angel's message. But I looked on the word worship. You know, when you know the Lord and you begin to fall in love with him and you love him back, because if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. And when his character rubs off on you and you begin to glorify him and stand out like a light in the dark, that's worship. That's worship. When someone looks into the face of God so much that it starts to rub off on them and they love him so much, they're living a life of worship. And God says that when you fear my commandments, that means I'm calling you out of this system over here of deception. When you glorify me, the fear of the Lord is not in this place, but I want it to be with you. So that means I'm separating you. People are not glorifying God in this system, but I want to have you have the character of God. So I'm separating you, he says. And when you have this worship with God, acknowledging the creator that he is the Lord of your life. He is the redeemer of your life. He is the one that is separating you and cleansing you and sanctifying you. There's only one commandment that points to all of that. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31. And I want you to look at this. Verse 13. Are we there? Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth what, everyone? Sanctify you. God says, I have called you unto holiness. The will of God is even your sanctification to come out from this darkness and to separate you and set you aside. And when you keep the Sabbath, it is a sign between you and God. Now, this is the creator talking. He said to remember the Sabbath day because it's the Lord's day, the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. He said, it's my day. So if the creator is telling us to remember something, and if we keep that Sabbath day, we're going to know something. We're going to know that he is the God of our lives that is sanctifying us. And in the end of time, in these last days, it will be the sign that distinguishes whether you're on the camp of the three angels or the camp of Babylon, the Sabbath. I was, uh, never forget my journey here, how I got here. I went to Army Bible Camp and I came here in 2012. And right before that, 2011 was a year that I'll never forget. I was in recovery and rehab in January 2011. I was addicted to heavy opiates and alcohol and everything this world had to offer. 
And I remember I met Jesus in that place and before. But he had spoke to me so powerfully, family, that I couldn't put this Bible down. I would read one verse and tears would pour out of my eyes. It was so much, too much for me to handle. I came out of rehab and I was addicted to my, I still smoked my cigarettes. I was taking Suboxone, a mild form of the opiate medication, heavy opiates I was on. But it, it stopped my withdrawals. I was still drinking my rock stars and caffeine, eating whatever I wanted to eat, listening to my reggae music. Still had my science fiction, fantasy, demonic books in my house. But I met the Lord. And you know what I did, family? I, God set me up with a group of young people that were on fire, and they would knock on my door, visit me. I kept going to this Bible study. I kept going to prayer meeting. I kept going to the church, and I kept going to door to door. I was, I was on the street campaigning, and, and God had spoke so powerfully into my life. People would open the door and ask me questions about the Bible, and I didn't even know too much. But all I can say is, man, all I know is I was blind, and now I see. Amen. That's all I know. But it forced me to go back to the word and know next time. But you know what? I was still smoking my cigarettes. I still had these demons in my life. But the more I kept reading this book right here, the more I kept looking into his face, the more I started to love God because I realized how he loved me so much. He saved my life. He gave me a purpose. People around me were dying doing the same thing I was doing. And he called me out, and I felt so special, never felt so special in all my life until I cried unto the Lord. But the more times I read this book, the more I became convicted that, Tarek, it's time to let it go. Because when you get to know God, you start to love him because he loves you. But when you love him, you want to serve him. But there's the problem, because when you start to want to serve him, you got to trust him. You can't serve your idols and serve God. You can't eat at the devil's table and eat at the Lord's table. And so God was telling me, Tarek, you want to to serve me? Then serve me. Man, let me tell you, that year, 2011, was 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 a tough year for me. Caffeine was hard. I remember quoting the scripture in Isaiah 43. You said, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, Tarek, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. I said, Lord, I love drinking this stuff. I'm I'm drowning right now. Are you going to be with me or not? I used to quote these scriptures. Lord, you said if I come to you, you will in no wise cast me out. Lord, you promised me you'd give me rest. You said that if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, I will be free. And I would wrestle with God, quoting these scriptures, but I never put it down. And one by one, the Lord began to break the chains of my life. Finally, I got to Suboxone. I didn't want to face withdrawals again. And I was crying on the side of my bed. I said, Lord, I'm tired of it. I quit everything. How much more stuff I got to quit? I quit caffeine, the books, the music, even my, my diet. I quit all of that. I can't do this no more, Lord. As tears were coming on the Bible, I kid you not, it fell on the scripture in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. And it said, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I remember smiling there in my room as I was crying. I felt like God came into my room and slapped me on the back of the head and said, quit being weak, Tarek. I felt like I said, I, I remember saying, I said, wow, did the Lord just punk me? And I said, God just punked me. He said, I was small. My strength is small. And I started laughing because I felt like that's something my older brother would do. But you know what it, you know what it did? 
I said, yeah, Lord, I am crying like a baby. I'm all twisted on the side of the bed and stuff, Lord. And I picked up my Bible, but it gave me courage to go on. And I went for with no sleep for a while, and I, and I quoted scriptures. He said, I went to a Bible study, and they quoted Isaiah, and it said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. I was going through withdrawals, didn't sleep for two days. And I said, I got up in that Bible study mad. And I said, I'm about to prove this scripture right tonight. And I went home, and I'm, eyes are blurry, my legs are shaking, and I'm trying to read the Bible and pray as best as I can. You know what happened after that? I don't even know, because I fell asleep. <laughs> I woke up with the Bible on my chest, drool on the side of my mouth, the sun coming through the window and the birds chirping. I woke up and I still was antsy afterwards, but I went to sleep for the first time. November, I went to this men's retreat and a pack of Newports was in my pocket, smoked cigarettes for 15 years, and I smoked cigarette after everything. And it was the first thing I picked up when I was a teenager. And it was the last thing and the hardest thing for me to let go. And it was in my pocket. I was at this men's retreat. And we were, I was in the cabin with eight other guys. And I would hear the messages on Friday. And I would be convicted. But I would run outside to the cabin in Leone Meadows. Go hit my new port and go back to the next seminar. <laughs> and I used, to, I used to read my Bible and smoke my cigarettes. And then Saturday came, the messages came, pricked my heart, and I'm feeling convicted, the time to quit. But you know, sometimes when God speaks, no, I didn't hear that. <laughs> you know, I'm just going on this way, but I'm, I'm trying not to hear it. I started getting pictures of my grandfather. My mother used to tell me when he quit smoking cigarettes, he flushed his last cigarette down the chain. And I, that story kept coming in my mind. And I said, Lord, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. That night in the cabin, Saturday night, we got around to pray. We prayed every night with the fellas. And I was fumbling that pack of Newports in my pocket. And God was telling me, Tarek, it's time. It's time. And I remember I grabbed that pack of Newports in my pocket. And before the fellas prayed, I threw it down in the middle of the prayer circle. And as it was falling, it felt like slow motion. And in the back of my mind, I was like, pick that thing up. Hopefully nobody saw it. Get it. Kick it. Man, I want it. But you know what? When it hit the ground, my knees hit the ground. And I said, fellas, I need help. And eight pairs of hands fell on my shoulders, on my head. And brothers started to pray for me. You know what happened when I was down on my knees in the center of that prayer circle? I started smiling. I was happy. You know what God showed me? He said, Tarek. I said, yes, Lord. He said, look back. I turned around and I saw mountain after mountain and river after river. He said, Tarek, remember that? The mountain of Suboxin? That deep river of caffeine. Remember those books and that music that you love so much? Remember those group of friends you used to hang out with so much? Remember all of that? And I said, man, Lord, we did all that together. And he said, yes, Tarek. Now look at this mountain ahead of you. I said, yes, Lord. He said, you ready? I said, yes, Lord. And I pulled out my hand, and he drugged me along once again. Amen. My family, after that prayer... I never smoked cigarettes after that. Well, God took the taste of it out of my mouth. Now, I struggled with the suboxone. The caffeine was a battle. But God performed a miracle for me after 15 years of smoking Newports. He delivered me. Didn't have no cravings whatsoever. You got to know him. Because when you know him, 
you're going to love him. And when you love him, you're going to want to serve him. But when you want to serve him, my family, you got to trust him. You got to stand on his word. Although you may feel weak and weary, he says, trust me, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you freedom. I will set you free. But you got to stand on my word. Make yourself vulnerable. He said, my strength is perfect in your weakness. Is he lying? Is he lying? If you don't believe it, Try it out for yourself. The angel is telling us to get to know the Lord. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. And I'm closing now. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth and lay up his words in thine heart. If you return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense. Thou shalt have plenty of gold, the Bible says, and silver. Your reward will be rich. Fulfill your purpose that God has called you for, my family. We have been given this greatest wealth of truth to preach to the rest of this world. But how can we call people out of Babylon if we're in Babylon? How can we call them out? The first angel is telling us not to preach it, but to live it. Because only those who are sanctified by this truth, who know God, who have a relationship with God, are going to live and preach this truth. I don't care what sermon, what pastor you like. He may be a powerful, she may be a powerful preacher. But you're not going to get a more powerful sermon than a godly life. Than those who glorify God. Who let their light shine in the darkness. My family, it's time to choose. What camp are you with? Are you with the three angels? Or are you with the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet? I don't know if you're paying attention to the signs of the times these days. But this thing is wrapping up. Is he diverting your mind? Are you spending time with God? Or is Satan successful in your life? He doesn't want you to fear God. Jesus says, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, it's a law of freedom, and continueth therein, this man, this woman shall be blessed in his deed. He doesn't want you to have that place of refuge. He doesn't want you to have the fountain of life. My word is able to save you in the utmost depths. I remember my brother and I, we would go to these places and we couldn't get in because we looked so raggedy. Therefore, distinguished guests, banqueting. We'd go to the door and the guy in the front door would say, hey, what are you guys doing here? You got an invitation? You guys can't get in here. And then the main guy comes to the door who's running the whole show and says to the guy, hey, they're with me. And we walk in and I look at that guy in the security and I say, yeah, buddy, I'm with him. (laughs) And I walk in there and everybody's not saying it, but they're thinking it. How in the world did these raggedy dudes get in here? Now I know when we get up there in glory that none of the unfallen beings are going to say, how did these raggedy sinners get up in here? Because they're already going to know that we got in because of him. They already know that he said, hey, 
there with me. And I'm going to be walking up there in glory by his grace. And the only reason I got this freshly stitched white robe on my body is because of him. I got the wings on my back. My skin is glowing with the presence of God. I'm on fire because of him. I'm walking in the strength of immortality. The song on my heart that I play on my harp because of him. Revelation chapter 3 verse 4 says, And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. We get to walk with him in white. You know what that is? That's that victory parade. I I believe that's the celebration parade when we first get there. We get to walk behind the Lord Jesus. And all the angels and the unfallen worlds are going to be looking at us, the redeemed of the Lord. How did all of them get in here? Now I know how they got in here, but I remember that woman. She was so impatient, so unloving, so doubtful. I remember that man caught up in addictions. He was such an ugly person. It's an amazing thing that they're here right in front of me right now. And for all eternity, only he will have the scars in his hands to prove it. For all eternity, we'll be glowing with everlasting strength and power of intellect because he got us there. And my friends, you know what that is? That's the everlasting gospel. That is the everlasting gospel. The fact that we're walking up there will be a testimony for eons to come of his love. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Father, we just want to thank you for your redeeming power, your creative power, your sanctifying power. We want to thank you, Lord, that you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. But to serve, Lord, to call others out of darkness, let us remember, Lord, that you have a place set up for us. This is not our home, but this is the place of our mission, Lord. Let us be filled with it. Let us get to know you and forget the distractions. Let us fall in love with you, for you are good to us. I have come here because God had placed this on my heart this morning. He said, Tarek, don't leave here without making an appeal. And there are souls in this room who need to walk and know the Lord Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to God. And this day you know that when you go back home, life is hard and heavy for you. But there's only one Savior that promises rest and can deliver. And he's calling you this morning. Won't you listen to his voice? If you're that soul and you want to get baptized or rebaptized, I'm going to ask you to come to the front and pray with me this morning. If you are that individual this morning, even in the overflow room, the Spirit of God is in there as well. You could come to the front and I would like to say a word of prayer with you. Jesus has paid the ultimate price and he is always fighting for us and he will continue to fight for us. Is there not a soul in here this morning? That would like to give your heart to God this morning. Praise the Lord, my brother. God bless you. God bless you. Is there another one? God bless you. God is not playing games. The time is wrapping up. He said, I can promise you this and I can deliver. Trust God, my family. Serve him and he will not fail you.
You don't want that day to come with you, family. How many of you want to want to walk with him in white when you get up there? Let me see your hands. Jesus says, if you want to walk with me in white up there, you got to walk with me down here. Don't let him say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. You never walked with me. You never had a relationship with me. You never loved me. You never kept my commandments. The fear of the Lord was not in your life. Did you glorify God? Did you worship him? My family, the choice is yours today. If you would like to give your life to God this morning, his arms are open for you. Why don't you come on down? Come on down as we pray. The floor is open. My second appeal is this. The first appeal always remains open because the Lord is merciful. If you this day have heard God spoke to you and you want to commit your works to the Lord, not, when you, not just when you're here, but when you leave here, when Monday morning comes back around and Tuesday morning comes back around, if this is your desire to walk in the fear of the Lord and to give him glory and to worship the creator, then I want you to stand with me as we pray. I want you to stand with me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we are grateful, Lord. There are many souls in here that have stood And all of heaven have been waiting for this. Lord, my prayers for these two individuals that have walked down here this morning. Lord, you knew them from the day that they were in the womb. You know the trials, the temptations, the dark clouds. And Lord, I am asking, because of your wonderful love, to shadow them with your love and mercy this morning. So just hug them with your grace, Lord. Let them know you're here, and I thank you for that. Lord, they have walked down here to stand for you in these last days. And it is our prayer, Lord, that you would strengthen them, talk to them, encourage them, walk with them, and then give them a thirst to walk with you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would cover them and keep them. And as they leave here, no matter what life has in front of them, that they can walk with the Lord of the universe and they don't need to fear. Let them remember this, Father. Let them run to your word and not to the distractions. It is my prayer for everyone else in this building, the same thing, God, that we would commit our works to the Lord and go all the way in as we have been called to do, saying with a loud voice, but let our lives reflect this message. And then it will be loud. I thank you, God. You know us. And when we're alone, back with you in the quiet hours, speak to us. Let us recommit ourselves in our closets. Monday morning and Tuesday morning as well. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.